0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As always, at the beginning of Lent, how do we begin with the Mass of Ash Wednesday? This is what our Lord has given us. And it's through this Mass that we are here to receive grace. That is strength, power, the very energies of God, the divine energies of God, shared with us. We're here to receive them for the 40 days of Lent. That we might be drawn to God. That we might approach God and allow Him to do every good work for our salvation. That He intends to do in this great and wonderful season. And it's in this Mass that we are given for good reason by the church. The words of the prophet Joel, which was your epistle reading this evening. Now our words begin in verse 12. But so that we understand how it is, what is it that God is doing? What is our journey through Lent? We look at the prophet Joel, but we have to begin with the first verse of chapter 2 rather than 12. In the prophet Joel verse 1 of chapter 2, God proclaims through Joel, Blow the trumpet in Zion. And sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand. These are the words that set the tone for every other word of God that comes through the prophet to his people Israel from God. Sound an alarm. Blow the trumpet. The day of the Lord is at hand. And now we hear the reading from our epistle. Now, therefore, says the Lord, now that you've heard the alarm and awakened, turn to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning, so rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. These are the words of the prophet Joel. That Christ through his church chose to give us. To woo us into and guide us into great Lent. But it starts with sound the alarm. For this is the day of the the Lord. Lord. It is at hand. What is our alarm in the Mass of Ash Wednesday? We did it at the very beginning. Every one of you came up. And we all received ashes in the form of a cross on our foreheads. And you heard these words. Remember, O man, that thou art dust. And to dust thou shalt return. What is the trumpet sound that is given to us to wake us up a bit? Our mortality. Our mortality is the alarm that is sounded. To come back to the reality that we ought to live in relationship with God absolutely every day. As if it is the only day promised to us. You and I know we don't live this way. We don't live mindful that that could be a possibility. That the day of the Lord could be the very next day for us. We live as though we have time. We have time. And the church calls us back, Christ through His church calls us back tonight with that splash of cold water in our face to live as though this may be the last. How might we live differently if we live in that reality, in relationship, in union that God has granted us? It's a moment right now for us to wake up from the spiritual slumber that creeps into all of our lives throughout all the other seasons of the church. Outside of Lent. We get lulled to sleep by activities. We get lulled to sleep by busyness. We get distracted with all the things of this world. We get distracted even by our own dysfunction in this world. We live sometimes many days of our life distracted from the thing that matters most. And that's cultivating the grace of God that He's given us. To live and breathe from union, true union, with the living God. It's a call to let the fog of our spiritual minds clear for a moment. And now that we have that clarity, we now receive direction. How do we come to God and why? The prophet says, now says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. And that word heart is not just what pounds in our chest. Turn to me with all your heart means this. Bring your whole self to me. Bring your body, your soul, your emotions, your brokenness. Bring your wounded conscience. Everything that you are, return to me in the present. Return to me now. And how? Return to me through fasting. Return to me through great prayer. Return to me with the giving of alms as I provide for those who are in need. Return to me with weeping and return to me with mourning, it says. And in this way, through fasting and weeping and mourning and experiencing God, in this way, rend your heart, not your garments. That word rend. Let your heart be torn from moment. Let your heart be rightly broken, and we'll talk about that in just a second, what that actually means. If you really want to look at it, what is the call of the prophet Joel, God through the prophet Joel to his people Israel, and what is Christ's call to us, his church, in Lent? It's very simple, but it's incredibly profound and very real to our salvation. The call of God through the prophet and the call of God to us this evening is come back to me. God is beckoning us, pleading with us. Return to me. It's as if you've been a prodigal child a bit in different areas of your life. Maybe not with your whole life. You've been a prodigal. You've taken my inheritance and you've spent it enjoying things outside of the order of my household. Come back to me. Come back to the Father's house. when we go through fasting when we come back and approach Christ in this way it says that there will be weeping and mourning why because when we come back to the lord and we're able to see him clearly any time we see Christ revealed to us clearly in our lives it is the opportunity and you've heard me talk about this before for the same moment that the prophet isaiah has when he's given a vision of the perfection of god When he sees the holiness and righteousness and perfection of God, what does he see about himself? I'm not that. In fact, I'm so far from this. The prophet Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips and an unclean heart. I see perfection and I see myself. I see what I'm intended to be and I see what I am not. And what happens? To the Christian who heeds that, sees that, experiences that, it causes a godly sorrow to come into our lives. And I say that very specifically. It is not the sorrow of shame and hopelessness, it is a godly sorrow that comes to every one of us when we have our heart broken for what is really available to us, for what we were truly created to be, and we're not touching it, we're not even close. It's the very broken heart that cries out, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. But with all of this, the the trumpet blast of our mortality, the returning to God with fasting and weeping, and the broken heart. My friends, that is not the end. We have to recognize this. Everything you just heard of how to return to God is the means to the end that God gives us. Listen to what it says about the God that we return to. It says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Get it out of your mind's. That we come back and that we return to a God who is wrathful, who is full of wrath, who is waiting at the door of the order of his home to smack us around for all of our wrongdoings, to exact his punishment. He's just waiting for us to come back for that. This is not the heart of the Lord your God. It's one of the greatest deceits of Satan we return to our Heavenly Father who was longing for our return in the very beginning. It's a God who intends through Christ by the Holy Spirit to pour pour out so abundantly His mercy upon all of us who will honestly acknowledge our sin, our disorder, and bring it before Him. He waits for us. And it says that in Joel, He's slow to anger. Slow to anger and of great kindness. That word kindness is used 230 times in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite words describing God in all of scripture. It's the loving kindness of God. In the Hebrew the word is chesed. Chesed. We spoke about this in our suffering series that I did in Sunday school. The chesed of God, the loving kindness of God. Here's how it works out because you can't just describe it in words. It's in action. What happens? Who is God? How does He act on our behalf? My friends, we know that we come to God deserving nothing. We come before the Lord our God and we are deserving of nothing from Him. And yet what does God do? Though we don't deserve anything... He gives us absolutely everything. He flips it on us. We come deserving no good thing from God, but instead he gives us himself, he gives us his kingdom, and he gives us all of the benefits therein. I want you to go back in your mind to that prodigal son's journey to understand the loving kindness of God that the prophet Joel is saying and how God is describing himself. In the prodigal son, the prodigal son left the home, spent his inheritance. He's in famine. He's lost everything and he wasted it all on sinful living. And he comes to the end of himself and he has a decision to make, life or death. I can stay right where I am perish but if I go back to my father's house I'm not worthy to be called a son I don't want him to call me a son if I go back to my father's house just to be made a servant even the servants there in my father's house have so much more than I'm left with here and so what does he do he comes to himself and he heads back to his father's house He just spent all of his father's inheritance for him. And he makes his way back to the house, and sometimes I imagine that in his in his mind he's figuring figuring out how he's going to plead with his dad just to be a servant. Because he knows what he's done. And he knows that he deserves nothing at all from his father but to be turned away. But what happens? As he comes, what does his father do? He doesn't even wait for him to get to the door. He runs out to meet him. And he says, bring my best robe and put it on my son. Give me some shoes for his feet. Put put him on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. Because tonight we celebrate and we rejoice that the son who I thought was dead is alive. What does the father do? The undeserving son comes home. And what does the father do? He doesn't cast him away. He gives him everything. This is the heart of the Lord your God. My friends, this is why the sacrament of confession is so viable and the church calls it to us every Lent. Because it's in that very sacrament that we rend our hearts, not our garments. It's in that sacrament that all the things that God has brought to the surface, our brokenness, our dysfunction, our sin, the illness of our soul, we come before our Lord Jesus Christ and we offer them him and we plead for mercy. And it's in those moments that the Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father, wraps the robe around us, puts shoes on our feet, and kills the fatted calf. And He covers our sins, forgiving them, cleansing our conscience. Not only that, He gives us our inheritance of grace and power to go and sin no more. How will we walk through this land? This season of healing. Not season of distraughtness. The season of healing. The church calls it the springtime of the soul. Why? Because as the Holy Spirit is digging up and churning up the soil within us, God is at work by the Holy Spirit planting all of His virtues and His likeness within us, watering it by the Holy Spirit, and we start to see wonderful growth that we never could because we let ourselves fall asleep, get lulled to sleep. The alarm calls us back to return to Him. We must return to Him. Rend our hearts. Offer Him our brokenness. And receive every blessed good gift that He longs to lavish upon Him. Because He is a God of mercy. And He is a God of loving kindness. And we go through Lent setting our face toward the cross. So that we die to the things that have been so harmful to our soul. But on the other side of the cross... We experience the absolute power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, new life born within us and expressed through us. Let's journey like that through Lent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.